Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Welcome to Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq Alameen, and we are broadcasting live from the WCEB studios. Uh, we invite you to follow us, keep up with us on social media. You'll find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Radio Islam USA. And take a moment to subscribe to the podcast. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, and TuneIn. Look for us at Radio Islam USA. All right, folks. Um, it is a pleasure for us to be with you. I am joined in studio uh, on the other side of the uh, of the desk here, the impressive one, assistant producer Ibrahim Beg. Um, and this is actually our first time broadcasting from the radio station, which wow. is a uh, which is a real real treat for us because we normally we normally remote broadcast coming to you downtown. So you might notice those of you who are longtime listeners that you do not hear the uh, that rumble of the elevated trains in the background. So that's 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 kind of nice, right? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, Ibrahim, you want to get us slimes? Assalamu alaikum. All right. Like my salam. be with you. First time for everything, right? Right, right. Absolutely. Long overdue. <laughs> yeah. So I am also really happy to have um, joining us this evening. Um, uh, we've got a wonderful guest and really around a really important topic. Uh, there have been quite a, few, uh, quite a few events that have taken place recently with regard to uh, um, African-American women. Uh, women of color, women, period. Uh, and we want to zero in on some of those things and uh, to talk about the importance of, of where we are right now and the importance of those people who uh, give their time and their energies to advocate uh, on behalf of women, uh, on behalf uh, specifically, specifically of African-American women. Uh, this is a really important time that we're, that we're at right now. So we have joining us on the phone. Uh, Dr. Amina Ali. Um, she uh, she works in quite a few different uh, a few different areas, but she works she serves uh, the sexually trafficked, incarcerated, uh, domestic violence, HIV, and teen uh, women's. Uh, she is with the International Model United Nations uh, Association, and uh, and we're going to talk a, a bit about her work and get some of her perspective on on what she sees. Um, right now with regard to uh, a few pressing issues, one of those being the clemency that was recently granted to Centoya Brown. So we thank, we thank her for taking the time to, to join us, and we welcome her to Radio Islam. Assalamu alaikum. This is amazing. Just to be able to, to just give credence to this powerful, powerful story is, uh, we, I hope you have more than an hour because... Um, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there's, there's so much. Um, before we, you know what? It seems like we got a little bit of a, of, of, of an echo going. Um, give me one second here. Um, okay. I'll tell you what. I think that may be on my end. So I'm going to take just a second here. Uh, okay, we are all good now. Um, so um, before, before we get into uh, Centauri Brown. And because I know, you know, we had a, a, a brief exchange just kind of talk about uh, realize how important this particular uh, event is and her story is to you. Could we first kind of start with um, some of the work that you're doing around with uh, the International Model United Nations uh, Association in particular? Could you talk a bit about that? Of course. Um, we are deciding and I and I use that word 
um, with great fervor. We are deciding that we are not going to wait for policymakers to change policy. Um, and one of the things that we are looking at is the international or the global gamut that is a part of what it is that we're dealing with as far as traffic and sexually trafficked, as well as those that are dealing with things like ancestral trauma, forced marriage, domestic servitude, all of the forced criminality. These are people that are made to go into criminal uh, factions to stay in the country or to stay alive even. And we decided that this campaign after uh, Toronto Burke way back in literally in 2006, which is when the Me Too movement actually started. Most people don't know that. They just think that it just started with um, the um, uh, tw tweet that went over about Harvey Weinstein. But um, um. way back in 2006, we decided that these girls are coming, and they're coming in mass droves. And one of the things that we said was we're not going to have it on our watch. And the thing that has happened is the groundswell of those family members. And I have to really give great credence to the family members because they were unaware of this was happening until it happened, and then they were unaware of how to help until it was required for them to help. Mm. But we used that momentum, and we said we were going to do this on an international level. Now, the U.N. mission, um, of course, is an international uh, program. I mean, it's, it's the whole premise is to bring policy of all the countries together, of course, to unite the, the, the goodness of that bill or that policy, and then spread it throughout the other um, uh, countries that are affected. And what we do unanimously is we represent different uh, demographics in this union. And 2019 will be in, uh, in Hanoi. Um, and, of course, that's a little small, well, it's not, it's not little, it's actually the main uh, land um, it, over in the Asian continent. And we are trying to get uh, this panel, this, this conference, to recognize sexually trafficked women as an actual act of criminality, not a case-by-case -case, uh, washover of child prostitution, which mm -hmm. is what it's being liberated into. Um, it's swinging the pendulum from child prostitution to uh, young, um, um, excuse me, old molestation, which is what they're calling it. because if you're young, then you're just molested. But if you're deciding to practice into the act of sexuality and decide to sleep with grown men, then that's prostitution. Mm -hmm. So we're swinging from one gamut to the other, and we're like, wait a minute, hold on, there shouldn't be a pendulum involved. If there's a child that is underage that cannot consent, that is forcible rape. Right. Okay, how much you paid for it? So that swings us right back into, um, um, I, I call her now Ambassador Brown, because she is going to be the face and the power behind this movement, and she's going to hold hands with, with um, Tarana Burke, and she is going to be the face of survival in this. And, and in knowing that, she is going to land uh, policy and procedure that is going to be moving forward for these women. So if nothing else, I stand in full support of her, with the policies that we are enacting in our program. So that's... You know, Dr. Ali, that's, that's interesting that you, uh, that you make that point about her being an, an ambassador. Uh, yeah. I had a recent conversation uh, just uh, really along that, those same lines as to what the future would hold, right? Um, would she feel a, uh, I guess, for lack of a better term, the burden of responsibility uh, to step out and be... Um, to kind of be that that person who takes on 
um, the responsibility of speaking on behalf of all those other Centoya Browns uh, that we don't know about, that did not have the type of uh, coverage uh, that she did, or would she be one who who may may not necessarily want to have uh, the um, have that public spotlight on her? So that that that's that's a very very important and a very interesting point that you bring up there as far as her taking on that role of being an ambassador because I think we we would assume that that would be the case um, or hope that would be the case that she would use that type of uh, experience um, sure. terrible experience sure. you know to to hopefully yep. make give, give some ease to, to others who, are, who have also um, possibly suffered the same type of fate but have done so great. under the under the radar that's exactly right, and that's the point I'm trying to make. An ambassador doesn't have to be in the foreground. It can be asked, and it, and it can be um, the, the, the quiet supporter of measures and bills and lending their name and, and using that unwanted and infamous celebrity to be the, the first round in support of other women and opening homes for the survivors you know, and opening... Um, safe spaces for survivors to go and implementing plans and procedures and, of course, in our state, uh, policies through the U.N. Mm -hmm. And this is, this is just a remnant of it. I mean, I, and I'm not belittling her in any way, mm -hmm. but this is just a remnant of what is going on in society. I mean, she has physically been incarcerated and she has physically been harmed and she has physically been in the, the spotlight recently. Mm -hmm. What she is is a representation of the 99%, and she being the 1%, the 99% of those that don't have a voice. Right. So when I see she's an ambassador, she is going to be the face and the voice to get the help. Now, whether it's quiet or in the, you know, in the front line, mm -hmm. it's going to be the work that is to be done. And now that we have someone that has survived that, we can use that. And we can honor that. The only way for us to get policies is for women to survive, to tell their story. So this is where she is going to be powerful. Yes, yes. Uh, you know, and, and, and I, when I had the conversation prior um, to uh, this evening, I did so realizing that this was going to be a, a continuing conversation, um, that it, yeah. it was, it's certainly too important to think that, you know, uh, one hour or two hours, you know, that, that that's going to cover it. Um, Malcolm X said back in um, in 62, he said that the, uh, I'll give the end of it, he said that the uh, African-American woman, the black woman uh, in, in the United States was the most disrespected uh, person mm -hmm. in, the, in, mm -hmm. in the country. Um, right. and, um, and, and that coupled with the recent uh, events going back to last week uh, with uh, the young sister, um, uh, Yasmina, I think her name is Yasmina James, the yes, uh, yes, James. Yes, yeah, the young okay, sister in Florida, um, mm -hmm. and who was attacked by uh, a customer. You know, she's working yep. at McDonald's and she is attacked by a customer, physically attacked. Uh -huh. And the response okay. that that played out after that um, mm -hmm. was really interesting. Uh, on on a, on a number of levels, uh, and before I say anything else, I'd like to ask what 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 was the first uh, your first reaction when you saw that her response, uh, and then also the media response to that. What do you mean to which one? Uh, well, uh, to Yasmin. Uh, yeah, to Yasmin James. What was your response when okay. when you saw that? Well, uh, the, <laughs> the mother in me. Was like that's what I was paying for those boxing lessons for because she, <laughs> she was a 
the, the background story of her was that she was actually training to be a boxer. So it was like, wow, really? So that money paid off. No. Right. But that was mother in me. But here, here the, the, on the real side, just the just the civil servant, the the humanitarian side was mm. that was that was the visual picture of this thing we called um, entitlement mm-hmm. um, from the way back a couple of weeks ago, in, in uh, not weeks ago, but months ago, when the woman called the police about the barbecue, and then the the other white woman that uh, barred the African American from going into the building, saying that she didn't believe he lived there. To this recent one where the um the older gentleman barred uh, an african-american uh national uh, actually he was an african national um from going in the building that he he was renting you know and right. this is this was a visualization of what entitlement looks like and vicious entitlement to the point where i can put my hands on you and i didn't feel any repercussion coming mm-hmm. and i know he was inebriated it was clear he was inebriated sure. and regardless if he was high or low, he was in full content of what it is that he was doing at the time because he felt courageous enough to do it. Mm-hmm. So that reaction was like, wow, was that, is, that gonna, is this going to stop? And when she defended herself, I was sure that based on the, the demands of that manager and how he was standing, he was so, still trying to be a, a customer service-driven uh, manager and trying to serve people instead of defending his employees, yes. instead of defending the truth of this, when him with him standing right there, he was still trying to go back to business as usual. And there was rumors that she was going to be fired for abuse, and, and then there was one saying that she was going to be put on leave with pay until they investigated. And the ACLU and and even the human rights um, movement stepped in, and they said, "Wait a minute, hold on. Why why is there any investigation with a full videotape? Right. What, what, what is that?" And I was, like, amazed because we had people speaking in the U.N. They were like, well, there has to be an investigation. What? Mm. What? You well, know, the I, tape I isn't good like, enough. Are you hearing it? Yeah. Yeah. And, and it also makes you think what would have been the outcome if there, were, if there had not been uh, video, right? Oh, then, she would have been fired. She yeah, would have absolutely. been fired because there would have been no proof of her starting or him starting, and they would have been like, well, we don't know. And even if the, the bystanders would have proved it. They wouldn't, have, they wouldn't have labeled them credible. It would have been one of those he, sh- he say, she say, but no video and no credible witnesses. You know, of course, we're not credible when it comes to uh, the, the interracial crime. Mm-hmm. We're not credible witnesses. So it would have been he say, she say. They would have asked him to leave, and then they would have just said that she had to go home for the night, and they would have discussed her eventual termination, and it would have been business as usual. Had yeah. that video surfaced, and not surfaced on, like, it's, in other words, if it surfaced just to the police, it would have been a quiet little, let's just arrest him quietly and let's let it go away. It would never have been brought to the front because it would have been no reason to embarrass yet another um, un- unwilling African-American being uh, harassed, insulted, or molested in some way, mm-hmm. um, and now being uh, uh, forced to be affected by the criminal justice system because they would have tried to say it was a, a mutual combat. Right. And I know that what it is that they were looking at was not a mutual combat. It was self-defense. But they would not have seen it that way after he grabbed her. Yeah. It would have been she should have done something to get herself away from the situation. But it looked like she was mutually combat. You know, they would have spun it to suit their, their criminal justice needs. Now, what does this mean in terms of um, there's a perception 
uh, I think you just mentioned that, you know, the Me Too movement did not start. Uh, it didn't start with Weinstein, right? This is something yeah. that began much, uh, much, much earlier. Um, but when it comes to the involvement or the recognition of the the womanhood of African-American women, women of color, um, mm -hmm. when they are assaulted, particularly in the public space, um, mm -hmm. and that the, the response, uh, and I know some, you know, they want to kind of live in this colorblind world or, or believe that we just got here by happenstance. Um, <laughs> but the, the, re the reality is when we swap out, when we change the, uh, the ethnicities, when we change, if that is an African-American man attacking a, uh, a white teen, uh, a white mm -hmm. young lady that is working, mm -hmm. then we imagine that there's a, a completely different uh, response on that. So, and not necessarily just from, from, from men, but from, from women. Uh, right. Do you feel, uh, is that something that, that, that you are, that you speak to with others who are within uh, this consciousness, within this movement of bringing more uh, dignity uh, and, and respect to women? Well, I, I, as a woman, I, um, I am one that is an advocate. You know, there is no reason. My father being the, the, my hero, my, my lord and savior for many years, mm -hmm. he was my, my all. And I, I cannot see life without him. He'll be 80 on the 17th of oh, January. Yeah. And this man was, he is everything to me. I even model my, my husband after him, you know. And <laughs> I, I, I did. My husband had to. He had the world of time when he first met me, you know, and was trying to see, he was like, I'm not your dad. I was like, well, you need to be, you know, like, this is, <laughs> this is a requirement, like, you know, it, it, and it was funny. But, I mean, just something as recent as Kareem Hunt, you know, something as him beating, you saw him beating a white woman. Yes. Now, when um, the, uh, what is the brother's name? I can't even think the brother that came to his defense, um, another chief star, uh, another chief player, but he came to his defense, he says, well, we have to, we have to see the videotape, right. and we have to figure out what it is that the videotape really says, and everybody was all up in arms about him, because they said, well, it's clear, it's like, and he, you know, he clapped back, he said, look, if it was clear, then we wouldn't have half the cases that we have now, if the video was quote-unquote clear. Right. Why are all these police officers that were evidently killing these black men on the street with video now being acquitted? Mm -hmm. If the video was clear, you know what I mean. Like they're yeah. saying, he was saying in his in Kareem Hunt's defense that although we have video, let's understand the content of the video. Now we, you and I, looking at it, we're like, man, he's wrong. Okay, mm -hmm. period. But and I go back to what my father said. There is no reason. He to to this day, and and some people may disagree with it, but he said it. When I got in trouble in the house, he used to tell my mother so she would discipline me, right. just so he wouldn't spank me. Mm -hmm. Because he said, I don't care how angry I get, how upset I get, or how disappointed I am in you. There is no reason for a man to put his hands on a woman. Mm -hmm. Not even in chastisement, because if I can put my hands on you as a child, then that gives you credence to believe that a man can put his hands on you as an adult. He said, then I'll have to turn in my badge as a police officer and be a, a wanted fugitive. He <laughs> said, because I'm going to run until that man is put six feet under. Right. There is no reason. So growing up with that Marine mentality, you know, the Korea... Uh, veteran and and the man that raised me to to be who I am now mm -hmm. has an understanding that there is no reason white black green or purple for a man 
to put his hands on a woman. Now, as it pertains to, oh, well, she's beating me, she's hitting me, she's throwing things at me. This is where the understanding comes in as to who you are as a man. Now, all of this toxic masculinity and all these things that they want to throw at African-Americans saying that they're too aggressive and they're too assertive, please keep that. Please keep that toxicity in you because that masculinity is well enough it's that same masculinity that my father said. I've had many women throw bottles and everything at me as a police officer. He said, but all I did was duck and move out of the way. Mm-hmm. An angry woman will calm down in a few minutes. Mm-hmm. He said, but you putting your hands on her, that that court hearing and that criminal offense probably won't go away. Well, you know, so society, that, society definitely, uh, you know, we have a society that is uh, certainly uh, not, well, I should say it is attuned to uh to not examining the context of any types of uh, physical altercations between men and women. Uh, That's right. Generally, you know, as the man, you're going to be looked at as guilty. Um, even, even, uh, even though there are instances of, uh, uh, you know, their intimate partner violence where the man yeah. is actually the one that is being Baby. beat. Uh, the, the man in some of those situations is actually not are the you? stronger individual. Um, exactly. But, uh, I have also, I've always personally, and I, I'll preface this with this, uh, I'm the oldest of uh, five, I've got four younger sisters that I've grew up, you know, having to fight for uh, at times. I've got three daughters. I don't have any sons, so that's really all I know. Um, that being said, I, you know, I would tell my, my daughters, you know, you don't fight. You don't fight a man. You don't, exactly. you don't do that. You don't put your hands on him, and he certainly had better not put his hands on you. Right. But 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 this idea, though, um, th- there is and I'm, I guess I'm kind of taking not necessarily taking issue, but I'm giving a different a bit of a different perspective, a little more, I think, um, in terms of there never being a reason. Right. And I, that's why I had to okay. mention my own background right now. If sure. you are in a position where you are uh, as a man, you are being beaten, you are being beaten. Uh, then you you should defend yourself. But I think within that, what what kind of gets missed often is understanding mm-hmm. your own strength uh, and letting your wow. response be proportional enough to, yeah. to so that you so you are no longer being uh, attacked. And if and if you can get away, simply get away. Exactly. Right? And that's the premise that he was talking about, because him saying hit a woman, it didn't say not self-defense. He didn't say that. Yeah. He said there's no reason to hit a woman. He didn't say there's no yeah, reason yeah, not to mm-hmm. Right. So the point is, there is no reason for like it was um, when we looked at Kareem Hunt's video where he, he lashed at the woman and he pushed her. And then when she fell, he walked over and kicked her. He was out of order. That part right there. Him pushing her off, okay, she was all right, because when he pushed her off, she just stepped back a couple of... But when the girl, when, when the one time when he threw the girl down and then walked over and kicked her, yeah, uh, I, I can't even be on your side on that one. And he knows. He knows what he did. No, he was out of order. He, he, was, he was absolutely out of order. Um, yeah. And I think the majority of the time, um, that is... Unfortunately, that's what we're looking at. We're looking at... Um, um, violence that is rooted in, uh, you know, immaturity and emotion, you know, emotional, you know, you, you have anger issues and you, and you, you take that out on the person that you're supposed to be protecting. Um, That's correct. and, and that makes you less of a man. Um, yeah. 
So, you know, and, and I, like I said, I only mentioned that because uh, that other scenario, uh, even though the majority of the time, that's not that's not the reality. The reality is where masculinity, unfortunately, is being used as a uh, it's being used as a weapon um, now. But even and, and within that conversation, because I, I always like to try to be solution oriented uh, and that's going to kind of lead me into this uh, segue into this other uh, issue, this other, uh, I guess, big issue that has come out. I shouldn't say I guess, right? It is a big issue. And I'm talking about um, uh, the series that was on, was it on Lifetime, I think, or BET? One of them with uh, R. Kelly. Oh, and and yes. the, 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 unfortunately, we are equating the removal or the, you know, this whole, the whole thing about mute R. Kelly, you know, don't listen to him. Don't, you know, fine. I'm, I have no complaints at all about that. But what does that do to change the culture? What is, you know, and, and that's what I'm talking I think we have to be really deliberate uh, in terms of, uh, of our responses, um, effectuating some type of positive, positive change, just like tearing down statues uh, in the South that bring memories up of, uh, you know, of, of the, the terrible past that's associated with um uh, slavery and uh, the Reconstruction and all of that, you know, Jim Crow. Uh, but how does that change the hearts and minds? So that's that's really where I would like to um, uh, I'd like to to spend a moment to think about and ask you what what are the the healing events? What are the things that need to take place so that? Um, so that so that we're not seeing this type of these types of, of acts, in particular from African American men to African American women. Well, we need to re-examine the advantageousness of the tribe. First of all, and I've always said this. I've said this in talking with my sisters with the um, the incest and sexual trafficking trauma uh, groups. I talked to this. Um, to my Muslim sisters that are dealing with um, abused men and women um, in the tribes of, the, of their respective cultures or languages of the Islamic tradition. And I've definitely spoken to my African-American sisters about it. This has to be reinstated. And I say this with full autonomy. When we bring tribe back, first of all, first of all, and I'm, I'm going to be like 20 seconds on the purpose of tribe. Take your time. The purpose of tribe is to unite people that are related and relatable. Mm -hmm. These are people that are like family. You know, he's like a cousin. He's she's like an auntie, or, or it, this is like a grandmother to me because my grandmother died before I was born. You know, those type people. Right. So the family of choice, as well as the biological family, has to understand that uniting is greater than the divide. Here's my point. I remember coming up, and I'm I'm. Well, well over 40, let's just say that. And I am, <laughs> Same here. I, I am of that generation where we called the block watch. You know, you had the Miss White that used to sit on the in the window and watch everybody. We call it Brewster Place, where yeah. you would watch them go up down the street and know whose house you went into and who's dating who and whose wife is going to whose husband's house and all of that. She knew that. Mm -hmm. But you know why she knew that? Because she was watching everybody and she kept an eye on everybody. I remember back in the day when someone would walk up to you and say, are you one of the, 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 the Brown children? Are you one of the Johnson children? I know your grandmother. You, mm -hmm. you're one of the Johnson. And I remember that. 
I remember you were known by your family and your tribe. You were known as a Johnson, as a Brown, as a Smith, because your family was important and your integrity as a family was important in an African-American community. Mm-hmm. Now we from Reverend Dr. Uh, such and such was in our family, or Miss Brown, or Miss Jones, to repping our hood. I'm from Inglewood. Mm-hmm. I'm from Central. I'm from, now you repping blocks. But what I'm hearing in all of that is you want something to represent you. You want something to be proud of in a in a unified group. Mm-hmm. So what I'm seeing in in repping uh, South Central and repping Watts and repping the East Side is that you want something to belong to, something bigger than you. So why not start with the thing that brought you here? Why not start with the tribe that brought you into this world? Why not start with the people that are amongst you? Now, in order to understand that, it's to understand who you were brought into. Now, you can't help who you were born to, but you can help who you who you're brought into. So if you know that your family is dysfunctional and, and things that are not well with you, there are other families that you have gone to that have fed you, that have taken you in. That can now be your tribe. Mm-hmm. So uh, make yourself a part of that, that family. If you feel that you are more attached and more uh, uh, well-suited for that family, be a part of that. Here's why. You being a part of a functional family is being a part of functionality. You representing that functionality is representing the stableness that can happen. And that stableness is what can be repeated. And that, anything that is stable and repetitive is a science. And that science is the thing that can be brought forth in the African community, African American community, again. We, we witness this when we joke about the Africans that come over here and they have the trial of 19 kids and four wives. And all. That's all right. They have a tribe of 19 kids and four wives. Why? Because they're all together in this. Mm-hmm. It's not 19 kids over here, 12 kids over here, and 8 kids over here. No, they're all together. He may have four wives, but I guarantee he knows where everyone lives. He's over there every night, and the kids know each other. Right. You don't have to know about I got a half sister on the other side of town. And this is because they understand the premise of tribe. If you bring tribe back, these girls, and this is going back to our point, mm-hmm. these girls can feel a part of something and realize that they are worth something. Am I blaming the women? No. But I do know if they had better choices, and they made better choices in this. I'm not blaming the women. Please don't hear this, because no. this is what's going to be repeated mm-hmm. you know, in, the, in the telecast. I, making better choices is what's going to keep you from being one of those faces on that video on that on that uh, documentary mm-hmm. and i that we're going to make mistakes but we're not going to make mistakes that are repetition some of these women said that yeah one of the women on the thing said that she was uh she knows a lot of celebrities so is this the first time that this happened or is this the first time that has hurt you mm. but she's better than this she's better than the first time she and then one says that she was she was uh, mol- i think the backstory on one of them was she was molested now there it is she was molested, and she said molested as a child. So where was the support then? Now the hypersexuality has now bridged to something else. And again, not blaming the woman, but understanding the cause and what it is that maybe we could have rendered a little better. And reproduction. Um, uh, you know, we, we basically reproduce. Uh, we, we reproduce these, these wombs that we come out of. 
whether they're functional or dysfunctional. Um, you know what? We're going to take a short break, um, Dr. Ali. Uh, Radio Sound family, don't go anywhere. We'll be, we'll be, blah. We will be back in a moment. This is Radio Slam on WCEV, 1450 AM. Hey, everyone. You know, let's all stop what we're doing right now and take a moment. That felt good, huh? Just like that, we had a nice, special sort of moment together. Of course, they don't all need to be quiet moments to be special. They could be loud moments, goofy moments, sporty moments, dorky moments. Moments where we talk or walk or just hang out. It doesn't really matter. They all count. Because every time dads like us take a moment like that to spend with our kids, well, it's pretty momentous. <laughs> Sounds like somebody agrees. So let's take a moment to make a moment. Today, call 877-4DAD-411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. One in three adults in America have pre-diabetes, but most don't know it. To let people know it can be reversed before it becomes type 2 diabetes, professional basketball player Julius Randle is doing everything in reverse. I'm only dunking with reverse windmills. I drove the whole way to practice in reverse. I don't recommend it. This move's called the reverse shuffle. I do recommend it. And it took me months to learn how to speak in reverse, like this. <clears throat> Here's 10 almost for diabetes type 2 with living Ben has my mom. In other words, my mom has been living with type 2 diabetes for almost 10 years. So together, we want to say to the 84 million Americans at risk, exercise and healthy eating can help reverse prediabetes. Start by taking a simple one-minute risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. <laughs> Betty can't say that in reverse. Welcome back. Welcome back to Radio Slam. This is your host, Tariq Alameen, and we are broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM, streaming at WCEV1450.com. Uh, remember, folks, keep up with us on social media. You will find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Radio Islam USA. And also, make sure you are subscribed to the podcast. You'll find us on SoundCloud, Google Play, TuneIn, and Apple Podcasts. Uh, for you Apple users, make sure that you subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, we love to hear from you. If you got a line you want to drop us, you can do so at producer at radioislam.com. All right, folks, our guest uh, this evening is Dr. Amina Ali, uh, and we have been talking about, um, well, not just uh, women's uh, empowerment, but awareness. But we left off on some really important uh, notes about the tribe, the importance of having the tribe. Uh, Dr. Ali, are you there? I am here. Okay. I am so excited. <laughs> I told you, we need an hour on this, uh, more than an hour. <laughs> now, now, I also have to mention uh, that uh, Dr. Mina also has a radio program. Why don't you go ahead and plug that uh, now, just in case we wind up running up against uh, the end of the show and we don't get to it. Well, we are on um, AM360, which is American Muslim 360, on Wednesday nights at 8 p.m., 
we are doing a show called The Birth of Women, and this speaks to the core of who we are. We speak about sex and sensuality. We speak about spouses and the homestead, how to grow a business, how to be the business, how to grow your brand, and how to just be phenomenal as a Muslim woman. And we have uh, guest speakers. We have guest topics. We also speak to the dynamic of what it is that we need to do internally through cognitive behavioral uh, strategies and um, the evolution of self. And we are on for one hour every Wednesday from 8 to 9 on a, uh, me, AmericanMuslim360.org. That's AmericanMuslim, the number 360.org. Okay. Awesome. Uh, that sounds like a truly, sounds like you don't have enough time. Uh, like, <laughs> like an hour is certainly not enough for all that. <laughs> I'm telling you. Yeah. I'm telling you. But, um, but yeah, so before we went to break, I, I just made the, um, just the uh, observation off of everything that you said, just the importance of, uh, not the importance, but the inevitability. Uh, often it is inevitable that we tend to reproduce, um, uh, our beginnings, um, you know, mm-hmm. and and if we come up in dysfunction, uh, it, it is it, it's reproduced quite often, especially if there's nothing that in, interrupts that. Um, so I think this is something that's really important. Uh, and I know I mentioned uh, R. Kelly, uh, and mm-hmm. and and here's here's my, my my honest problem I think with this is that. We are often given things. We're often given given the, uh, uh, the 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 microscopic uh, view of things, uh, and we and, and and by that by that I mean that we tend to lose sight of the broader picture. Uh, we lose sight, I think, uh, or at least the outrage is not attached to the evidence of the uh, violation of African American women. Um, uh, people in general, but I'll say African American women here in the United States. The history of that that goes well beyond uh, this current, uh, the current um, uh, icon that's that's presented to us in the form of R. Kelly. Now, certainly Mm -hmm. he's responsible um, and he, you know, he's responsible for what he's, for what he's done. And, and he, he's got to answer for that. Uh, And he may do so within the criminal justice system, uh, but he will certainly have to answer, uh, you know, as people of faith, as Muslims or whatever uh, faith tradition people have, uh, if you're a person who believes that you're going to stand before your creator uh, and have to give an accounting, then you, you're going to give an accounting one way or another. That's it. But, That's it. but the, larger, the larger picture that, that bothers me is that the response to this, in, in this particular instance, uh, when it comes to African-American women, is that somehow he is the progenitor of, 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 uh, of, of sexual violence, uh, against African American women, that that, mm-hmm. that it began with him, and that we are overlooking all the the, the hundreds and hundreds of years of, mm-hmm. of violence that has been committed against uh, African American women, and have and have really uh, given no real strategy uh, to to address it, uh, or 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 held the society uh, at large. Um, responsible for recognizing it. Mm-hmm. Any any thoughts that you might have on that? Well, um, I think anybody. R. Kelly to the young man at the corner of your block. I think if he does something that he knows is wrong, 
um, whether Muslim, Jew, or Christian. I think you know it's wrong when you did it. Right. Now, I, I do know, and, and in full defense of the truth of the matter, mm-hmm. everyone that is victimized does not always celebrate the victimiz- victimization. And here's what I mean by that. Mm-hmm. When you are victimized, when, it, it, for example, we want to use the term victimization as this blanket term that says that I've been done wrong for no other reason other than um, I'm standing on the corner and you just walk up to me and punch me. You know, that, that you know, blatant victimization. Right. But when you, when you accost a behavior that is above reproach and, and things that you know are wrong, there is a certain anomaly that comes with that. For example, my grandmother used to tell you, play your fire, you're going to get burned. Mm-hmm. Now, are you going to blame the person that's playing with fire, or are you going to make better decisions? Stop blaming people and just make better decisions. Now, I cannot say that what they did was not a good decision. Going with R. Kelly was not a bad thing on the surface. Mm-hmm. He's a superstar. He has connections. They made, a couple of them wanted to be singers. You know, alhamdulillah, they went to him for the, for the artistic as well as the professional endeavors they could have gained from him. Mm-hmm. However, when you realize that this is getting out of control, you have that right. You have that right as a Muslim. You have that right as a woman to leave. They're not going to, in none of the cases that they say that he put a gun to their head and said that, you know, she was going to do this and da da da. This seems like it was um, sexuality going wrong because there were no boundaries in place. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lay and have sex with you just because you're R. Kelly and we got five minutes in a dark room. These are decisions that you can stop yourself from making so that you won't get into that, that situation. And now we're going to have the, the sidebar that says, oh, well, a woman should be able to do what she wants to do. But that doesn't mean that she should do it. Just because you have the right to do something doesn't mean that gives you carte blanche to commit the act. That is this thing that we're talking about as entitlement. Right. White people for years have been given the ability to degradate African Americans. Mm-hmm. Why should they do? Why should they? I have the right right now to, if I'm married to you and my husband, to take your money. But why would I want to? Right. Why would I want to just reach in your pocket and say, well, because I'm your wife and I don't have to work, I'm just going to take your money? Why would you do that? That's, a, that's called a privilege to be a woman in this land. That's what the, the rights are and not a demand. It's not a demand on a man to take care of a woman. It's a right of a woman to be taken care of. That means that there's certain things that come along with those rights. Mm-hmm. You have to be respectful. You have to be kind. You have to keep his house. You have to keep yourself. You have to keep his children. And then any business or education that you have. So these are your responsibilities. So, yeah, you can take his money. But there has to be rights to that. You can't just say, well, uh, I'm just not going to, I'm just going to take your money because I want a new pair of shoes. No, how about mm-hmm. taking his money to go shopping, taking his money to take care of the kids, feeding, feeding the children or, or feeding the household, you know, the, the bills and the maintenance. These are things you can take his money for. And it's not even taking. If he's a real man, it should be handed over anyway because he knows mm-hmm. that this is a requirement of the house. And I'm not saying that, man, you just got to give up all your money. But if you know that this is a business, what is, I'm not bashing men, please, men, don't even that. Uh, but I am saying if you know your wife needs a certain amount every month, give it to her. Right. That is where the, the civilness is. So back to the women, mm-hmm. there's a civilness to your nature and your organic self. You have the power. Women are the most powerful creatures on this earth. We can give birth. Mm-hmm. So knowing that, we can replicate who we are. To know that we have that much power, Allah has given us that much power, Mm-hmm. is the power you need to use in your own force for good. Use your sexuality for your husband. Mm-hmm. Use your 
sexuality for your your long term partner. Even even I don't I don't even agree with the long term partner thing, but at least yeah. use it for that monogamous relationship. Stop just giving it out because you just want to put something on Instagram to say that I didn't, you know, I didn't broke bread with with R. Kelly. That's a new term now. We breaking bread because I guess you got to feed the girl first. <laughs> but <laughs> I think this thing, you know, it's like, are you serious? Like, wow! Like, I don't, I, I didn't get that. I didn't get that when I was growing up. I didn't get that memo, that email, that, that Instagram. I didn't get that. That yeah. is something sacred. One of the things that I, um, uh, I I've, I've done mentoring probably for the better part better part of the last uh, 20 years or so. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the things that that I have noticed is that um, there is a definite drop-off. There is an absence of, of, of training. Uh, and, and a lot of that, it is, of course, it is, it's not the fault of those who are growing up. It's the fault of those who are supposed to be covering them. Um, in, 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 you know, in, in recognizing that, uh, these young people, they need, uh, direction. So to, to that point, as far as mentorship is concerned, do you, do do you think that it's also just a a matter of, uh, not to say it simply, but that it's a matter of young women not being, uh, not meant, not being mentored in a way, uh, that allows them to see themselves, uh, as valuable to, uh, to to retain their uh, autonomy, um, mm-hmm. to not be swayed by, uh, by by brushes with power, because that's also one of the mm-hmm. things, and that's what that's what we really, we we get into in these types of situations where we talk about stars, uh, whether it was Harvey Weinstein or R. Kelly or, or anybody else. It's sure. Sure. people all automatically talk about this is a person who has who has power. Um, sure. It's the same sure. thing that Michael Cohen is talking about. He says, "I lied for the president at his behest." Um, I, because, you know, because he had power. So is, is this, is this something that mentoring is, uh, something that our young women, our young people in particular, um, just in general, Mm -hmm. that you feel like they're just missing and it's, it's putting them in in positions where they're, they're being swayed when, uh, had they been brought up, uh, in a a better situation, they would, they would have strength in those situations. Sure. Sure, and I agree 300% with the, the thing that you said that um, would they sway, what, would they be better with mentoring? Um, I think mentoring, just like Islam said, charity starts at home. Um, and I think when you understand what that term means, charity means something you give without expect, expectation of receiving anything um, in the back end. That's why charity is done silently and quietly. This is the confines of your home. And this is where the charity should be given. Now, are we being, are the children being raised by hurting, hurtful women? Yes. Are children being raised by women that still have their own stuff to deal with? Yes. And are these children being raised by uh, a, a, a group of women or a generation of women that was not validated themselves? Yes. Why? Because if you remember, anybody that's born to born as a millennial or a dreamer or post millennial, these are of the education of us. Mm-hmm. Anybody that's over 40, is these are our children. Yeah. So what, we are, what we're understanding is that in the 60s and the 70s, we were so busy fighting that we weren't being parents. We were being role models. We were being role models in the cause. We weren't being effective teachers of the esteem. We've got to fight the power, fight the this, fight the that, fight the this, and we're always fighting. 
but the love and the necessary thing that was necessary to give validity to the woman was lost. Then you had that era in the late 70s, early 80s of that high teen birthing. These are the post-millennials and the dreamers. These are the women that were, were, were being brought into the world um, from the um, teen, uh, teen mom generation. So these are women that were babies, weren't raising babies. And most of the time it was the resentment of the grandmother or the mothers of the mother that were raising the baby. So yeah. now I'm, I'm resentful because I have to raise my grandchild, and now I'm resentful because I didn't get a chance to be a child because I had this baby. So now we got resent and anguish, and we got hurtfulness, and then we got the animosities of not being able to be a child and then having to raise another child. And now we have that as that third generation is getting. And she doesn't even know that she's getting. She's getting it kind of as a, a happenstance, a, a casualty of the war. And she's growing up in it. So this is all she knows. She thinks this is the way we're supposed to be, just vindictive and bitter and angry and yelling and screaming and fighting all the time. And then we got grandmothers fighting mothers physically in the street. And, mm -hmm. and I remember going to a woman's house that was birthing, and she's birthing in the bedroom, and the, the mother and the, her mother and the baby's father's mother didn't get along, and they out in the, in the, in the courtyard scrapping because neither one of them went, them went the other upstairs in the presence of the baby being born. They are literally in the courtyard outside the house having a fist fight because neither one of them like each other. So now, the children, the boy and the girl, the, the mother and the father, this baby is now seeing this. Mm -hmm. And they grew up with this. So what do you think they're going to teach their children? Mm. They're going to they say things like, you better grow some hands and you better you know, sharpen those skills. And Why? Because they, children learn what they miss. So now this third generation that's coming through is going to learn vicariously that this is the proper way women are to be. So now these women are going to be loud and disrespectful and disrespectful of self. And when they get that opportunity to see this, this man of power that they realize is more powerful than they're probably ever going to be, they need to give their only virtue to them. Mm. The only thing that they know is of goodness, that they can say is good because it is it is internalized as this is your power right here. And right. that's how it's internalized. This is your power. Now they're going to give that as their way of offering themselves to this man. You know, one of the things that I, I really was dismayed about with the women that, uh, the Muslim women that veil, is because I knew back in the day that a lot of women were doing it to cover, and they were running from the law, and they were doing all these things that they knew were wrong, yet they were doing it under the guise of being um, impertinent. And one of the things I didn't like was the advent of doing this religiously and saying that this is proper and true and teaching the children and that, that, that. Mm -hmm. And knowing that the women that were doing that were the ones running from the law that were, you know, they were, they were covered during the day and then strippers at night and nobody knew the difference because they didn't see them during the day. So, wow. And they were hiding behind them. Yeah, this is, this is a true thing. And now they're raising children to see that. Why is a Muslim woman that is covered out at night from, from the hours of 11 to 6 a.m.? Mm -hmm. Then, why is their father incarcerated and she has four other, three other co-mothers that she has to deal with? How are you incarcerated with four wives? This is the thing that bothered me, that these men would not have to get a divorce with women, but you can't give them their rights, so they're actually free to be released. This yeah. is Islam. But they're yeah. doing it in a way that the children are now seeing it. So now these children are growing up. They don't want to cover. And then when I teach in the schools, I see them come in covered, and then they put the veil and the, and, the, and the garment in the locker, and they have the jeans, the skinny jeans, and the tight shirt, and the, and the weave in their hair underneath all of that. 
Hmm. So they take it off in school, walk around because they know nobody's going to come and see them. And then when they go home, they put it back on before they get on the bus and, and go home. Yeah, that that is that is that is a uh, that that happens quite often uh, from from what I hear. Uh, that yeah. happens quite often that uh, there's this double, I don't say a double life, but it's also uh, or a double consciousness. But um, right. uh, but but I see this also uh, even in the masjid uh, where right. you have people, uh, and it's not to put anybody on blast, but you you know you have people that take on a completely different. Uh, disposition uh, inside of the masjid, but if you see them outside, you would never, uh, you would never recognize the uh, the person. Uh, and and I think it's this struggle with with being whole uh, and, and identity and 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 that is a is a struggle. It's not it's not one certainly that I that I mock uh, by, by any means. Uh, but, Ooh, no, but that's not what you say. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, I just want to say that for the for the for the benefit of someone who might sure. think that that's the case. But um, right. but it is it is a very real struggle, and it's something that really is only um, possible to, uh, to 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 counter to, or to get over when you have the type of community, that type of tribe uh, that's there to allow you to exist in your your fullness, complete fullness as an individual. Um, so you don't feel you don't feel out of place. You, you can be the same person uh, in in all of those spaces. And uh, and exactly. yeah, and I wanted to also just kind of make make a comment off something that you said with regard Ooh. to that civil rights that that generation um, right. right there. And I came up to that, so I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there there there's something that has been said. Um, uh, someone said to me says that that generation because they were so active um, mm-hmm. that they basically and unintentionally sacrificed mm-hmm. their children for the community. Yeah, that's right. And that, you know, okay. that that's, that was just such a, a powerful statement to me and, and unfortunate, uh, an unfortunate reality. Yeah. I know more about my struggle as an African-American than I know about, um, I had to learn my family tree, but mm-hmm. I, can, I can tell you everything about Malcolm X. Mm-hmm. I can probably tell you the last time he brushed his teeth and what color the, the toothbrush is because <laughs> he was so in-depth with what it is that the struggle was about and who was in the struggle, from from Clayton Powell to um, all the way there. And, and I say Clayton Powell because that's the most recent person, the historian, and, and you got to read his book. That is amazing how he's going to be a historian yeah. in, a, in a few months. But all the way from Clayton Powell to um, um, Colin Powell and, and everybody in, in between. And I think that um, that that thing that makes the historian in Clayton Powell relative to those uh, all the way up to Colin Powell, and then to uh, of course the civil rights marches after. I mean, before in, in between, we have this thing that makes us so good at being African American that we lose ourselves as a person. Mm-hmm. We are really good at speaking as an African American, but we cannot tell you what it is that is our personal passions as a human being, as a humanitarian, and as a woman or man. Mm. And, they, and here, here's where I'm, 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 I'm with that. In my generation, when I came up, I was taught, and this, is, this was in, ingrained in me, they never gave me the thing about what do you want to be when you grow up. My, relic, my generation was what problem do you want to solve so that we can equip you to do that? Right. I teach my children that. I say, don't don't go out here and tell me I want to be a doctor, I want to be a lawyer, I want to. Those are careers. I want you to I want you to get paid for your passions. 
Mm-hmm. Tell me what you want to help. Do you want to help global warming? Do you want to help Rwandan children? Do you want to go over to South Africa and keep uh, Nelson Mandela's legacy alive? Do you want to walk on the moon? What do you want to do in society to help people deal with these things that are happening? And then we will equip you with the tools to get that done. Now, I have colleagues that say that's narrow-minded because they won't have any anything else to do, and if they just speak on policy of um, Haitian children that are traumatized or whatever it is, that's all they know. No, that's not all they know. They have to learn about their own uh, uh, civility. They have to learn about their own tribe and traditions. They have to learn about Haitian tribe and traditions. Maybe learn another language. Maybe learn another culture. Maybe you have to travel to Haiti. Mm-hmm. How many African Americans can get on a plane and go to Haiti just for the heck of it, if they're not right. Haitian? See, these are the things that people don't understand, that there's a full melting pot of experiences that makes the child well-rounded while focusing on this adaptation. This is what it is that we needed to do. We didn't get that in my generation. My generation was black power, and you just a strong black woman, and just do what you need to do as a strong black woman. Okay, but Absolutely. what does it mean? Well, Dr. Dr. Amina, um, I really hope that we can have you on again. We have uh, come to the end of our hour. It has been... A pleasure talking to you. <laughs> it has been a pleasure talking to you. So I'm going to have to do my really quick auctioneer exit. Um, so I thank you again. We gave her information. You can find her on uh, on Facebook, doc, uh, Dr. Amina Ali, Ph.D. Um, uh, we thank our sponsors over at Zakat Foundation. Thank our engineer in studio. Uh, Leonard, thank you very much, sir, for making sure we come through loud and clear. I'm your host and producer, Tariq el uh, Our executive producer is Abdul Malik Mujahid, and we remind you that the views expressed by the host and or guest are theirs and are to be taken as a representation of Sound Vision Foundation. And with that, we leave you as we greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Thank you.